the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Men have fewer friends than ever, and it's hurting their health. But why? What is behind this deep decline in friends and how it is harming men in society? We'll dive into these issues and more today with Niobe Way, a founder of the Project for the Advancement of Our Common Humanity at New York University, and learn more about the issue and what she thinks we can do about it. Male friendship and why it's important to you. It's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Austin filling in for Stephen Henderson. If there's one thing the pandemic highlighted, it's our need for social connection. People enrich our lives. They give us energy to do more things. They inspire us and they provide us with care. For many, this comes in the form of friendship. As age-old institutions like churches and social groups become less important, our friends often fill in the gaps. But when friends aren't around, life can become quite hard and sometimes intolerable. While many struggle with social isolation, boys and men in particular have difficulty retaining friends. And some studies suggest that social isolation may help drive violence. For all the violent shootings that we're seeing over this year, a considerable amount were committed by boys or men that felt disconnected from others. What is causing that? One theory is that boys are not cared for and don't care for others. Consider all the things boys aren't able to do. They often don't feel comfortable giving or receiving hugs. They don't feel safe being vulnerable about a range of topics. They are trapped within expectations that they don't want and didn't ask for, but feel the need to fulfill. In other words, Our cultural expectations and their personal desires are misaligned. That's at least the perspective of one academic who has written a lot about why boys and men don't maintain friendships well. Niobe Way is a professor of developmental psychology at New York University. She's also the author of several books, including Deep Secrets, Boys' Friendships, and The Crisis of Connection. She's here now to talk with us about why boys struggle to maintain friendships and what that does to them, what it says about our broader culture and what our country could look like if we encouraged more frequent, deep male friendships. Professor Niobe Way, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, thank you, Nick. That was a wonderful summary, actually. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. It's a a delight to be here, and I'm glad that we actually have some time this morning to... um, really talk this through. It's such a critical issue right now. I agree. And I got to say, as I was talking to our producer here, Sam Corey, about how excited I was about this conversation, I'm glad that we have you for this time because it's such an important topic. But to set the table for it, let's just start with the basics. I hear terms like acquaintance, compatriot, uh, comrade, uh, but friendship. Uh, What sets friendship apart from all of these other terms we might use? What are those characteristics? Well, you know, so I'm a developmental psychologist, which means I've been doing research with uh, young people with a focus in the last 15, 20 years on boys uh, and young men. uh, And I've been doing this since 1988, um, listening to young young people talk about their lives and what's important to them and then following them. Developmental psychologists follow people over time. So my interviews will start when they're 12 or 13, and then they'll, I'll, carry, I'll interview them every year for five, six, seven, eight years. Um, and so I saw a pattern. And to answer your question, I'm going to draw from what the boys tell me friendships are um, because ultimately everything that comes out of my mouth this morning is what I've learned from listening to boys. Um, so this, it's very important. I want your audience to know that this is really from the, their mouths of uh, what they, how they define friendship, what they want, what they need, what gets in the way of their friendships, and, and what the consequences are of, of when they don't have them. 
And this is from their perspective. Um, so friendships for boys, the kinds of friendships they're looking for when you talk to them at 11 or 12 or 13, uh, sometimes 14 and 15, um, they're, very, they're looking for emotionally intimate friendships. They're looking for what I call the book Deep Secrets because they talk a lot about wanting friends in which male friends in which they can share their deep secrets. And deep secrets are defined by them as things, they're not just simply who, what, you know, who they like or who they have a crush on, yeah. uh, but it's really what's going on at home and challenges at home and challenges that, that they have with, you know, at school or something that's very, very personal to them. Um, and they want to be able to t- tell somebody else, and particularly they're looking for other guys. Um, and what happens is some, some boys find those friendships, uh, when they're young, and um, and then that's sort of one pattern. Where I can talk about that, but a lot of boys um, struggle to find those friendships. They they talk about wanting it, um, and they very much want those friendships. We you know we oftentimes stereotype boys, and that's part of the problem. Nick, um, I'll, I want to talk about that at some point. Is we stereotype boys in a way that's not reflective of actually what they want and what they say, uh, but it, those stereotypes make them believe that they're being weird when they have those desires. So they don't think it's normal to want those kinds of friendships, um, even though all of them are saying the same thing. So when you tell boys, you know, about 80, 85% of boys sound like that when they talk about their friendships. Um, they want the emotional intimacy. They want friends that they won't be laughed at when they're being vulnerable. Um, they want those, that, that kind of deep connection that you oftentimes also hear from girls and young women. Um, and uh, and they, they are stunned when I tell them it's normal that mm-hmm. most boys sound like that. Most boys in my studies, and I've, I've interviewed thousands of boys now around the world as well. Um, and the, I mean, everybody says the same thing. You know, that, those are the kinds of deep connections they're looking for. And they're astounded that, that it's normal. And, you know, uh, one, uh, one story I want to quickly share because it's so powerful to me is Please do. I had a 16-year-old boy once say to me, who did you write that book for, the Deep Secrets book? Um, and I was sort of stunned by the question. Um, and I said, uh, caught off guard, actually. And I said, oh, I wrote it for parents and uh, educators so that they could get to know boys better. And he said, why didn't you write it for us? Mm. Um, And I said, what do you mean? He goes, because then we would feel less alone. Um, And I just think, you know, I'm jumping ahead for a moment, Nick, but just to make a point. Please. Part of the solution that we'll talk about, I'm sure, later in the conversation is um, to help the problem in terms of the crisis of connection among boys and men. Is, uh, is normalizing the desire, is saying that the desire is a human desire. It's not a girly or gay desire. It's not associated with, with femininity. It's not associated with being a certain sexuality. It's just a human desire. Um, and, uh, and as, uh, you know, as long as we're in a culture that sees it as a girly gay thing, meaning we align a human desire with something that you know, has a gender and a sexuality, we basically make it other, meaning it's not normal for, you know, straight boys uh, to have this desire. And that really is, you know, the, the gut of what's, what's wrong in the culture, is that we take what is human, a human desire, a human need, a human, uh, you know, capacity to deeply connect. Um, and then we give it a gender, oftentimes feminine, a girl, woman, and then or, and or sexuality, being gay. And it's just incredible that we do that because it's once we do that, it makes it very, very hard for, quite frankly, everybody yeah. because it do, it's not seen as a fundamental thing in in a human life yeah. that we need to thrive. So you know that's that's a long answer to your to your great first question, which is what is friendship actually? Well, I mean, maybe that's why it got such the long answer. So I will yeah. go ahead and take that. But it gives me a lot of things I kind of want to dive into off of that. Right, right. One thing is you talk about how boys have this innate desire. And, you know, yeah. we were all boys, men, who uh, we were all boys at one point in time, which means we would have had that desire also. And I see yeah. studies saying male friendship has declined over time. So yeah. is this a need that has... Uh, not been met uh, since, uh, like, w- what's causing the decline, I guess I should say? Is yeah. this a need that was met before, but not anymore? Yeah, so, so Nick, this is, oh, yeah, these are great questions. I love these questions. Thank you, Nick. Um, okay, so, so basically what you have to understand is that 
if you're in a culture, right, if one is a culture, everybody knows this who's listening. If you're in a culture or a context that's nourishing friendships, that values friendships, that sees it as an important part of human development, that doesn't see the desire for emotionally intimate friendships as a girly or a gay thing, it's just a human thing. And there's lots of cultures around the world who have a history of that. Um, you know, they, they really value friendships. And America, United States, actually also has a history of that, particularly up until about World War II, where we had, you know, we have narratives and letters exchanged between men in the 19th century, early 20th century, um, expressing their love for each other. Um, you know, men, Abraham Lincoln slept in the same bed with his roommates. Um, and the idea of physical intimacy, emotional intimacy was just a normal thing. In the late 19th century, upper middle class men oftentimes took their best friend on their honeymoon. Um, so it was assumed that their best friend was critical to their sort of well-being and also as well as their, uh, their spouse. Um, and so we really valued friendships and they flourished. Um, and you have that among women, too, of course. You have a whole history of valuing friendships among women in the 19th, early 20th century. Then what seems to happen, which has been starting to be, I, I'm starting to see people writing about it. After World War II, uh, when sort of women had to come back from the workplace because men were coming back for war and, you, you know, there was that whole push for men to get jobs, et cetera. And we became a much more socially conservative society. Um, and so women were, you know, more women are in the household in the 1950s and men are at work. These gender roles are getting very, very rigid. Um, uh, particularly among middle-class families. Um, and so you start to see this sort of weird separation between hard qualities are for men and soft qualities are only for women. Um, and soft qualities include wanting emotionally intimate friendships. So starting in about the 50s and 60s and then especially 70s, 80s, and then the 80s, you start to get this pattern dramatically. Um, and, you know, with, and I would argue, and a lot of people argue this, with Reaganomics and yeah. all sorts of economic policies where we're becoming much less disconnected, much more disconnected from ourselves and each other, income inequality is increasing, et cetera. Um, you start to get the decline of friendships. Um, and you not only get it among boys and men, although they're always the lowest, right. <laughs> uh, but you get it among girls and women as well. So friendships start to be valued less. It becomes much more of a me, me, me culture. Uh, it's all about the me. It's all about the right, the self. You know, I always use the word selfie. You know, it's yeah. classic that we introduce the concept of selfie. Um, you know, that it becomes obsessed with the self and making money and making a lot of money. And our relationships start to basically just not be valued. And for boys and men, friendships are not only decreasingly valued, but the whole idea of needing emotional intimacy becomes less valued. And that be seen as sort of, you know, something that, you know, girls want, maybe gay guys want, uh, but it's not really a fundamental to success. And then so you have this de massive decline in the number of friendships. So I'll give you an example. In the 1980s, the average number of friendships that people felt like they could go and turn to someone if they needed it, um, needed help or some, some kind of um, issue, was two. And by the, by the 2000, this is a little bit old data, but it tells you the dramatic uh, decline. By about 2004, it was zero. Yeah. Is the average. Yeah, that is, wow. <laughs> so you, you see this dramatic decline. And then boys and, young, and boys and men, you know, the, the statistics are always just worse. I mean, they're, they're worse in terms of friendships. They're worse in terms of suicide rates. They're worse in terms of a whole set, series of things that basically come down to, Nick, and I'll, I'll just say it very simply, that what we ended up doing is we ended up after World War II, which is a whole other book one could write, um, we ended up privileging all the hard qualities that we associate with being hard, self-independence, stoicism, right, all those qualities, and making that just masculine. And so if to be a man, you had to be all the hard, hard, hard qualities. And then all the soft things that were associated with femininity in women, relationships, emotional intimacy, vulnerability, all those things got exclusively associated with girls and women. And if you were a man, you couldn't do that because then that means suggested you weren't a real man. Yeah. And you, you started to get that weird, you know, discussion about in order to be a man, you only had to be hard. And if you showed any soft qualities, you were no longer a man. So with, with that sort of introduction of these weird cultural belief system, it became really hard for boys and men yeah. to actually 
fight those cultural stereotypes and have friendships. And the thing I want to go back to, Nick, before I let you ask your next question is remember that because I know this story because um, boys, at, when they're early adolescents, before the pressures to man up, they sound like humans, meaning they talk about their desire for intimacy. They sound like what we stereotype as girls, but they really just sound like humans. Yeah. Uh, and girls are human too. Yeah. Um, but, but, but the idea is, you know, they talk about, they have that vulnerable language. They have the language of love. They talk about how they love their friend if they have them, They're, if they would be lost without them. You see that in fiction. You see that in novels. You see that in movies. Moonlight, for example. Um, a new movie just came out based on my Deep Secrets book called Close that just was up for an Academy Award, by the way. Um, and that movie tells the same story in, the, in my book, which is that boys are wanting or having these emotionally intimate friendships. Um, and then as they get more pressures to man up, you hear it in their language. Because remember, I interviewed the same boy over time. So you hear all of a sudden their language becomes defensive, angry, frustrated, uh, sad, explicitly sad, that they can't find the connection they're looking for. They're no longer close to those boys or that boy that they used to be close to. You hear the suffering, and that is exactly the age, Nick, when boys start to commit suicide dramatically, dramatically higher numbers than girls. At right about 15, 16, the suicide rate in the United States goes up dramatically for boys. And if you look at suicide journals, which unfortunately... I mean, they're very hard to read, but I've read many of them, um, as well as my manifestos, by the way, from mass shooters. Um, you hear this sort of desperation of looking for connection and not feeling like anyone's going to see them and get them and, right, and really care for them in a deep, meaningful way. And they have that sense of hopelessness that it's just not going to happen. Um, but it's important for your audience to understand that they, you know, they didn't start off that way. Right, right. They started off sounding, even, even the mass shooters, I know I'm going to get pushback on this from your audience, but even the mass shooters, when you, when you listen to their, uh, those uh, couple manifestos that they w reflect on their sort of early childhood years, and of course it's looking back, so it's, it's, it's tainted by that. But, but, you know, they talk about their desire for friendships and even having close friendships when they were very young. Um, and feeling really connected and joyous. Um, and then that whole thing of the transitioning to adolescence and the trauma, honestly, of being a boy in this culture and going through adolescence that says, you know, to be a man, you, can't, you have to be half human because half of your humanity is in your softness. Hmm. And so to say that you can only be your hard part, which is only half of you, um, you know, is actually, for, for many boys and men, it's very traumatizing. Yeah. Um, to, to have to, you know, suppress that soft side that's essentially for the, that's essential for their mental health. Right. So I'll stop there. But I just think it's the story of, you know, the loss that happens growing up in a culture that ironically, Nick, is very hyper-masculine, even though, you know, in, in many ways it's not comparatively to other countries. Right. But in this respect, it really is. Yeah, yeah. I certainly understand that. And we are speaking with uh, Professor Niobe Way, a professor of development psychology at New York University. But we also want to speak with you out there. Are you a guy who has struggled to make or keep friends? Do you feel uncomfortable being vulnerable with other men? And uh, what kind of impact do you think this has on your life? Do you notice people struggling to make friends, especially men? in your life and what are the challenges that they are going through alternatively do you know boys or men who have had a lot of friendships what are their lives like these questions are out there for you as a man or for someone who cares for men or is raising a little man we want to involve you all in the conversation give us a call 313-577-1019 that's 313-577-1019 1019, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Professor Wei, you have discussed uh, a lot about the issues, the harm that's caused, as well as the benefits of having friends. However, I do note, or I would think that one of the reasons maybe this stereotype came up, and there are people who are going to advocate for that, is uh, it is a tough life out there. It's tough uh, as a man, yeah. and you've got, there are things you have to perform, right? And uh, yeah. there are people who value the idea of being able to accomplish these things. You can't get knocked off path just by a, a, a difficult moment. You got to somehow persevere yeah. through that. Uh, for those who say 
that we've had a lot of benefits in our culture because of uh, stoicism from men and some of these uh, yeah, uh, highlights and also the biological differences that men have to boys how or excuse me to uh, uh, women how would you respond to those who would push back and say this isn't necessarily a bad thing it's had societal benefits well well this is the way remember that the message from the boys again I'm always going to go back to what the boys are telling me so so we get, so I get out of the, your audience thinking this is my opinion this is actually literally what boys tell you the point is is that it's not about you know, sort of flipping the hierarchy. So instead of hard being on top and soft being on bottom, now soft is on top and hard is on bottom. Right. It's, it's about disrupting the whole hierarchy. That hard-soft hierarchy doesn't, doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, w- w- as humans, we are both hard and soft. So absolutely, the whole point is you need stoicism in your life. You need to be able to be stoic. When my children go through difficult things, I am definitely not being vulnerable with them. Right. You know, I am being the stoic mother. I'm, you know, stoicism is essential as is vulnerability. We, we connect to people through our vulnerability. That's how we build deep connections. So th- to understand independence is a, as important as relationships and deep relationships and interdependence. So we have to get out of that thing of saying, pick sides. Right. Um, you know, we're both. We're both. And we have to nurture as a culture both sides. And the thing about uh, our oftentimes misconceptions about biological differences is there are certainly biological differences, but when it comes to social and emotional needs and capacities, um, we're remarkably similar. Yeah. And there's more, and, and researchers say repeatedly, there's much more diversity within gender than there is across gender uh, in terms of social, emotional needs and capacities. So the idea is that as humans, we are social animals. And social neuroscience has been saying that for decades now, um, that we come into this world we, we thrive in relationship. That's how we thrive. All the research studies show that, um, you know, longitudinal research studies of over many decades, that the core predictor of, of well-being and happiness is long-term, healthy, mutually supportive relationships. Um, and so the idea is that we have to get out of sort of thinking, okay, but if I'm vulnerable, then I shouldn't be stoic. No, 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 no. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know, you, you, pick, you pick when it's appropriate. I am never, I am never vulnerable with people who I am not very, very close with right, right. Uh, because I don't think it's appropriate. And I'm not going to get my work done if I'm starting to be vulnerable with my, you know, with my staff. Right, certainly, <laughs> uh, you certainly. Know what I mean? So, well, you know, I, put, I present and people oftentimes say, you know, they see me as a very stoic person, a, sto- a stoic woman, um, and I'm proud of that. Right. Um, and at the same time with my close relationships, of course, I'm, I'm willing to be vulnerable. Yeah. And, it's, and I have to say, even, even as a woman who's been researching this and listening to boys her whole career, you know, I, I have difficulty being vulnerable because we, we, we really do dismiss it so much yeah. in our culture that I even struggle at times right. to be really vulnerable because we see it as lame. Essentially, we still see it as a culture as lame, right. even, even with women doing it. We still see it as sort of weakness yeah. rather than uh, something that's courageous, actually. Yeah, well, Professor Wei, I want to start forming some relationships with the callers that we have coming in, and we are going to do that when we return here on Detroit Today. So stay on the line. Doug and Southfield, Reed and Hazel Park, Matthew in Detroit, and Sam from St. Clair Shores as Detroit Today continues in just a moment. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. It's Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, where I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson, and we're dissecting why boys, men, uh, don't have enough friends and why it matters. Male friendship is the topic here on Detroit Today with our guest, Niobe Way, professor of development psychology at New York University and the author of Deep Secrets, uh, Boys, Friendships, uh, uh, deep Secrets, uh, talking about the crisis of uh, connection with boy friendships. But we're also speaking with you, and right now you is Reed and Hazel Park. Reed, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Hi, thank you. Um, I've had uh, struggled with it a lot when I, uh, through my life because we moved around so much, Yeah, and that just compounded it. I, at one side, I felt like, why bother even try? And the other side yeah. was, dang, I, you know, I, 
I need someone to talk to. I want to go out and play with somebody, etc. Yeah. And uh, even taught my son that you can be in both boats. Yeah. That you know you don't oh, have to fantastic. struggle the same way I did. Yeah, yeah, uh, doctor or uh, professor Way. I leave that uh, to, point to you. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so common. You know, it's interesting. I have to say um, that you say what's the, what's the um, the person's name? I want to get your name. Uh, Reed. Reed. Okay. Uh, because it's it's such a it's such a common experience, and you know it's interesting. I've had a lot of boys and young men tell me the exact same thing that the moving, the moving from school to school, whether it was because their father or mother was in the military or for whatever reason they were moving a lot, um, and that really really disrupted. But it's interesting to me as also understanding that we even live in a culture that we don't think moving is is that detrimental. Yeah. I mean, we sort of think it's part of modern society. We move a lot. You know, your parents shift jobs, whatever it is, and kids should just follow along and sort of suck it up. Um, and we really don't tell that story that your your listener is telling, which is that it actually creates much more challenge to find, uh, you know, meaningful relationships for obvious reasons. And so figuring out even ways in schools, and I would say this to bring this to a, to a larger issue because it's so common what he's talking about, um, is to be addressing when kids are moving from school to school, creating spaces within schools um, to actually deal with kids helping who have been transitioning a lot, um, you know, helping them with these transition building relationships. Because I really think that is one of the biggest problems in modern culture is we just don't take relationships seriously. Right. So we don't think that, you know, dragging a kid from place to place is going to actually really have a long-term impact. It can. It can really have a hard time. So I just sympathize, and I, I just want to give a really big, great shout-out to you that you're taking what you've learned and then you're passing it on to your son as a way to teach him, you know, the way to be in the world, and he will inevitably grow up to be a healthier, happier person because of it. Yeah. And I just think I really want to emphasize for fathers to do that with their sons, mothers, of course, too. Um, but the point is, is that that's, that's, that's where they learn. They learn from their parents. So if their father really models for them how to be yeah. and what to take seriously, that will be the key linchpin yeah. <laughs> of, you know, of, of, of healthy development. Absolutely. And Reed, thank you so much for calling in with that point, not only being a great model for uh, your son, but also yeah. for the callers listening right now. And yeah. we have lots of calls, so I'm going to really try to oh, work okay, them okay. in and get <laughs> more succinct with them. Yeah. It's all right. We're loving the conversation <laughs> right now, and I'm really looking forward to bringing in Matthew in Detroit next. Matthew, you're, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hello. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, Dr. Way, really appreciate all the work that you're doing in this conversation. Um, nice. Thank so you. I, yeah. So I am actually a counselor, uh, and I've really focused um, my work on men and masculinities, and I've uh, facilitated some community men's groups as well. And, you know, I've, just everything that you're sharing feels really resonant for the things that I've heard from folks that I work with. Yep. Um and also something that I'm noticing in this conversation is this talk of, you know, the connection and vulnerability being human versus being a girl, girly or yeah. gay thing. Yeah. It just made me think about um, the work of James O'Neill around gender role conflict and yeah. um, the ways that specifically fear of femininity is something yeah. that really gets connected to, um, I guess, connected to like, you know, bad mental health outcomes. Absolutely. And, you know, I might be splitting hairs here, but like, I think it kind of brings up the question for me of if we're articulating it as, well, it's not a girly or gay thing, it's a human yeah. thing. Yeah. Are we, are we unintentionally opening the door for, oh, well, you know, like, I, for like continued sort of like homophobia, sexism, and right. sense of like, oh, interesting. Of, of, interesting. Of making like, yeah, of making, yeah. Like, Femininity and like you know being gay, being queer, still something that it's like oh well, it's okay for you to keep that at, at, um, at arm's length. Or yeah, yeah I would, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about that. Wow, wow, that's such a fabulous question. Um, okay, so um, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think that is a risk. Um, the it, you know it's funny because sometimes I say with an audience that I feel very comfortable with. I'll say the solution is to try to promote everybody acting more girly and gay. 
I mean, you know, so I'll directly address what you're addressing, which I'll say it's actually appealing to your girly gay side. Um, but what the pushback on that, of course, is that people are saying still seeing it as then essentially girly and gay. You know what I mean? Like they're still seeing it as a as a as a something that's really only true for a certain group of people. So I would say the way to do it is to underscore that it's a human thing, because that's really what we know from the research. Again, that's not my opinion. That's what we know from the research when we follow young children and follow them through time, that this desire for emotional intimacy is just a human thing. That includes boys and girls and non-gender conforming kids. Um, So the idea is to make it clear that it's human um, and that we all have both soft and hard sides to ourselves. We can call them masculine and feminine if we want. um, And, we, we, we could make that link explicit, but I think part of what it means, so then the question would be, what does it mean to be human? And then the question is, uh, right, the answer is, it means to have hard parts to ourselves and soft parts to ourselves. And everybody has hard and soft parts to themselves. And that we need both. We need both to function in the world and to do well and to be happy and successful. We need our hard parts and our soft parts. And then I think you, you start to address the fear of, of femininity and sort of softness, because that's what really what it is. It's a fear of softness. It's a fear of weakness. We think soft is weak. Um, and so it's just showing that we have those parts to ourselves that's, that's yeah. essential for human thriving. Yeah. Matthew in Detroit, again, thank you so much for uh, what you do as a counselor and for that fantastic yeah. question, helping continue this conversation. Move forward yeah. as we move to our next contributor here on Detroit Today. We have Sam in St. Clair Shores. Sam, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Hi, guys. Uh, first off, thanks so much for the conversation. Um, really important talk you're having here. Um, but, yeah, just wanted to talk about, first off, um, the importance of, as uh, Dr. you had um, mentioned earlier, with fathers and uh, parents um, yeah. really sort of fostering that in their children. Um, yeah. You know, I'm in my, my mid-20s now, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, I've recently been on that mental health journey, as I think a lot of men have recently. And um, and just just realizing that you know if if you don't um, don't have that that love there or um, or at least that encouragement to accept that love and um, yeah. and spread it it's it's so hard when you do get to that adolescent stage which is um, which is so tough then um, yeah so it, you know and that really um, really bleeds into um, when you get into your adulthood. Um, yeah. and I've, I've been, uh, been studying for my, uh, my social work degree recently and have been looking a lot mm. to, um, hegemonic masculinity and, um, yeah. and, and everything like that. And it's just been so interesting. Um, and I was, I was very curious as to, um, as to how, if you have any sort of advice or, um, thoughts on how to approach, um, those, those older family members or friends, you know, maybe it yeah. is a an uncle, um, it's, yeah. it's, so hard and um even if they appear to be open to it um having that connection and um that yeah. open conversation and um helping them you know maybe soften up a little bit um if you right. have any advice on that well this is the this is the answer i always give so the, the sometimes i will get um the su- suggestion directed at me you're just turning boys into girls is typical of people who are sort of pushing back on me and my response is always, and that's why I've said it now, I think, three times in this conversation. Everything I say comes out of what boys tell me directly. So, you know, when boys say, why didn't you write this book for us? Because then we would feel less alone. We would feel less like a freak that we had these emotional desires to be friends with other guys. Um, that the idea is that once boys discover this is actually normal, it's normal feelings, I mean, I even had a group of 12-year-olds giggling around one of the quotes from Deep Secrets where the boy says something like, I love him so much, I can't live without him. Uh, and the boys are all giggling and saying, that sounds gay, et cetera, et cetera. And then when I, you know, my response was, I don't know what sexuality this kid was. I, you know, I, that's not the point of what I do. Uh, but all I know is that 85% of boys sound like this at some point during adolescence. And they switched on a dime. All of a sudden, they were talking about their desire for friendships their deep connection with each other in the classroom. I mean, all I needed to do was normalize it. So I would say with your family members, I would say talk about what we actually know, not, not your opinion, right? But actually, what do we know about boys, about what boys want and need and what they've been telling us for over a century, right? Through letters, through 
all sorts of ways, um, you know, more recently in their manifestos of boys who've committed acts of violence. They, they're saying it again and again and again and again. And we're just not listening. So this is not an, your, your opinion, right? Not your opinion that boys have a soft side. It's the reality. And that as long as we don't value it, then they get into trouble. Um, most, not everybody, obviously. But the point is, is that, you know, what I would say, and I'm going to say this as a researcher, is start with the data yeah. rather than this is my opinion. Yeah. Uh, because the data backs up what your opinion is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sam and St. Clair Shores, again, thank you for sharing uh, with this me- uh, meaningful question and conversation as uh, yeah. we are discussing uh, great things, giving space for boys to be honest, uh, a thing that I'm hearing come up often as we continue now with Doug in Southfield. Doug, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Yeah, I just uh, really want to thank you for your work. And it's oh, ironic um, because I'm actually sitting in the parking lot driving a friend to surgery, waiting for his surgery to be done. Wow. And uh, the thing that I I would like to bring up is that there's a third rail on this that I really hope you have the courage to work into as you move forward with your research, and that is we men are being treated as disposable, and it's really Mm -hmm. causing a lot of destruction with our ability to be friends and have friendships. Yeah. But the thing is, you know, our ability to be friends, you know, when we were growing up, we would throw baseball and footballs and hang out and play cards and stuff, but then when we got married and stuff like that, you know, we were being married to be men, but then we were destroyed as men and disposed of and discarded. And the horrible things that were said and done to us, not seeing our kids. Yeah. I have a lot of guy friends that are jealous of me because I'm single and they're trapped in horrible marriages. And, yeah. and it's yeah. just destroying us as men. And yet my friends who are degreed professionals, DP level, are suicidal because of what the women in their lives are doing to them. Whether yeah. you look at the underpinnings of misandry, you know, or just the things that are happening and, you know, divorces and stuff. Yeah. We men rely on our friendships right now, and people are afraid to confront the truth, and that is we are being treated like we're disposable. We're sperm yeah. banks and we're ATMs. We don't matter. And even within an industry, you know, our jobs are disposable. We as professionals are disposable. It doesn't matter what aspect you look at, but whether it's black men, white men, you know, we're all just we can be thrown out and that that's impacting us as human beings. And we're struggling to try to, you know, we're the only thing we have is our friendships with one another. And even then, you know, I have friends that are professional, ex-professional sports players and stuff that are suicidal right now because the woman in their life that they helped put through school said, I don't love you anymore. And I'm moving to a different state for another job. I mean, this, I mean, this is a best friend. I mean, yeah, no, Doug, I really appreciate that. I wanted to uh, make sure to give time, however, because we're coming up on the break here. I want to make sure to give time uh, to the professor, Professor Niobe Way, to uh, respond to you. But go ahead, Professor. Yeah. yeah, so first of all, I'm really thrilled that you brought this uh, component into the conversation because it allows me to make a point that I don't think I made clearer, and it's consistent with what you're saying. So this is the deal. In a culture that, that, that only thinks in individuals and not in cultural, we, we, you know, we think that if an individual messes up, it's an individual's fault. If an individual succeeds, it thinks it's only due to their brilliance that they succeed. We only think in individuals. Uh, what we've done is we've taken the, the symptom of a culture, right, which is if we don't value the soft sides of ourselves, uh, we create oftentimes messed up men, right? And then we blame men. Yeah. Right, we blame men. So we say the reason why you know men pre- uh, commit all the violence is because they're essentially messed up humans. Uh, but we don't ask the question: is why are they messed up? Right. right? Why are they committing violence? We don't even ask that with mass shooters. We don't actually ask why are we having so many boys at sixteen to twenty-two kill a lot of people? Like why is that happening? Yeah. And what we do is we just stop at who's to blame. So exactly what the uh, listener just said. We blame whatever group you're going to talk about. And I would say the uh, I would also add we also uh, at times blame women, too. But the idea is that we blame women. We blame men. We blame, you know, we blame men for their own violence. We blame men for their own, you know, whatever they're doing that's messing up. And we have to step back and see it's a modern culture that doesn't value half of our humanity, which is the soft side, uh, and then creates messed up adults, particularly men because that's pressured for men more than women. So the idea is if we raise our children, I'll say this one thing, because I know we have to go to break, but if we raise our children to go against their nature, 
and their nature is to have a hard and soft side. We should not be surprised that they grow up and some of them struggle yeah. and have a hard time and even commit violence. Yeah. And yeah. so we have to stop blaming groups and individuals, and we have to start seeing ourselves and the way we've constructed a culture that actually exacerbates the problem. Yeah, yeah. Doug, again in Southfield, I really appreciate your contribution to this conversation and bringing yeah. up your perspective here. And yep. as I mentioned, we've still got more time with Professor Niobe Way. But first, uh, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got a couple calls. We've got Anka and Royal Oak, Harry and Sterling Heights. That means I've got a couple lines open for you as well. 313-577-1019 as we can continue discussing male friendship on Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, where I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson, having a wonderful, thoughtful conversation about male friendship and why it matters, boys and men, today with Professor Niobe Way, a professor of development psychology at New York University. And we're getting you involved as well. 313-577-1019 to get involved with the conversation, just like Anka and Royal Oak. Anka, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Hey, good morning, and uh, I have a comment, and I disagree somewhat with your guest. Um, I'm a trans woman. I translated late. I transitioned late in life. Um, I'm small uh, as a male. Uh, I was quiet, and I wouldn't say necessarily effeminate, but I wasn't like my typical schoolboy friends. Uh, I've lived both sides of this, and I've seen this. And I'm, first, I'm going to tell you that. Men, males, speak differently in front of women than they do to themselves. Um, there's a lot of manipulation. There's a lot of patriarchy. There's a lot of misogyny. And the little boys, they're all cool. And like you said, they get to adolescence. And what is it that happens? Well, mm -hmm. I don't know. It didn't quite happen with me. But what I see is they get influenced by their fathers. And I think the males, you know, yeah, I think we can rightly blame. And your last call is it just said that, oh, he doesn't feel like he has a place and he's being dis devalued. That's a, I think that's a very small percentage of the population. And what I see instead is that we continue to perpetuate the, the issues that we find that are becoming uh, more recognizable and, uh, with males um, and, and we're perpetuating this by allowing these same males that have these problems that, uh, you know, are, are historical to teach their, these children. And so, you know, when does it break? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't feel warm and fuzzy about any males. I'm trans lesbian. And yeah. in my life, males have always been terrible yeah. acting. And I over-masculated. I pledged a fraternity, a football fraternity. I worked in security. I was a sports referee for 30 years for all male sports. And wow. when I transitioned, people were in shock. Yeah, Anka, I appreciate your perspective. And um, I, well, I don't think that's completely inconsistent with what I've been hearing from the professor. No, I no. would note that um, that's why we have these conversations, because there's so many different perspectives out there. And sometimes uh, we don't get an opportunity to see how many people, I mean, America's a really big place, uh, have lived different experiences and maybe haven't touched with uh, some of the other situations that we've seen. But I leave that uh, comment and question that I really appreciate from you, Anka, to you, Professor Way. Uh, what yeah. Uh, yeah, no, once again, I would just so appreciate these questions that I'm getting. It really allows me to articulate the full, everything I learned from boys. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think there's actually any disagreement with, between Anka and, and uh, what I'm saying. And I, and I think that the, the, possibly the disagreement, maybe, maybe, is that um, what we often treat, what we often see as the problem is a symptom of a problem. Um, and we get confused. So we think the mental health is the problem. That's actually a symptom of a problem of living in a culture that doesn't value half of our humanity. So that's depressing to live in such a culture, and that leads to violence. 
Um, and so we keep on confusing the symptom with the problem. So th- we do the same thing with men. We see them as the problem, and that actually creates the problem so that you see men acting atrociously and violently um, in all sorts of ways. Um, but that they're, they're enacting a symptom yeah. of living in a culture that doesn't value half of their humanity and also the uh, humanity of, of all humans, not just those identified as straight men, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the idea is we have to start seeing it as a larger issue that we're all a part of this collective culture, modern culture. I call it in my new book, quote-unquote, boy culture, in the sense of the privileging of the heart over the soft. And the idea is to... If we want to prevent violence, if we want to change the culture, we have to stop blaming each other because ultimately it just creates a who's to blame fight. Um, and that, that's never going to be, nobody's going to win that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have to see that it's a larger cultural problem where we're privileging the hard over the soft and we are all as humans hard and soft. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. And we have to start seeing vulnerability as courage, not as weakness. Right. Right. We have to start saying, you know what I mean? Yeah. As necessary as stoicism. Yeah. As necessary as stoicism. So I'm, yeah. not, I'm not dissing any hard qualities. Right. Those, those hard qualities are brilliant. Uh, but we've got to get out of this blame game. Right. Uh, because, and to me, that's even the Richard Reeves uh, work that's so popular now, which is, some of it is consistent with what I'm saying, yeah. is I, I don't want it when it tends towards sort of blaming a group um, then I get nervous. Right, right. And we do want right? to get into solutions, which I will. But before I do that, Anka okay. and Royal Oak, again, I do want yeah. to thank you for bringing that perspective, one that I don't think often gets shared enough so that people can have a whole rounded perspective on this conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much again for calling Anka and Royal Oak. And I do want to get to solutions uh, with you, Professor, because uh, you write about friendship. It's on a precipitous decline. We have the issue with boys as well as men. Let's start with boys. What is the solution to this problem how can we uh have more lasting friendship with our boys or have all, I will all boys tell have you. That? yeah yeah sorry i interrupted you no you're good that. go ahead um uh it's very very basic and fundamental i'm gonna say it very clearly to your listeners normalize it normalize that it is normal for all people regardless of identity regardless of their race gender sexuality identity to want deeply connected human relationships. That is normal. So whether we get people to read articles, get people to read deep secrets, get people to reflect on their own friendships and what they value, I don't care how you do it, uh, but the research over almost half a century has underscored that point. It is a normal human desire. So we have to get out of that thing with our boys that somehow doing something that's soft or being vulnerable is somehow gay somehow suggests some kind of vulnerability, uh, you know, some kind of sexuality is what I mean, not vulnerability, sexuality. Right. So that's number one. You got, we got to normalize it. And, that, and then you have to spread the word. We have to spread the word to our communities, uh, showing that the heart, we have both hard and soft parts of ourselves. Have conversations. When is stoicism necessary? When is vulnerability necessary? Have conversations at the dinner table with your children. Talk about these feelings. Talk about soft feelings and hard feelings. And when hard feelings help us, when hard feelings actually help us heal, when the stoicism actually helps us get through something. And then talk about how sometimes being soft and being, revealing what you feel actually helps you too. So really having these conversations. And then the second major thing I would say, maybe I'm not on the third, <laughs> is, uh, is I would say value friendships. Yeah. I can't say that more to parents who are obsessed about whether their children did their homework. Um, you know, basically, our obsession as parents, and now I'm going to speak as parents for a second, our obsession as parents around, did my child do their homework? Are they going to get into a good college or at least get into college at all? Are they going to do well in this class? They're academics. Apparently, 80% or 75% of American parents think academic achievement is more important than kindness. Mm. That, that is a brutal culture. That's a brutal culture we live in. So I really want parents, I want employers, I want bosses, I want people in charge to see that the nurturing of friendships is the best thing you can do for another human. Mm. So whether they're in your employee, whether <laughs> they'll do better at job, they'll perform better at, at the job, if they feel like they have friends in the workplace, they will stay at your job for longer. Um, You know, parents, they will have more thriving children. They'll be do better in school. This is all coming from the research. They'll do better in school if they have friendships. I mean, all sorts of things that friendships predict physical health, mental health, 
academic achievement, success in a job. Yeah. Friendships are the big predictor. Right. So value friendships and then figure out ways to nurture it. When the children are young, when your boys are young, create up healthy opportunities for boys to have friends, all types of friends, whatever friends seem like healthy friendships, meaning it goes both ways, not just one way. Right. And I've only got about a minute left, but I don't want to forget the men out there. Even if you're an adult now, it's not too late. What tips and suggestions, uh, solutions do you have for men uh, to facilitate men, And this this sounds so, it almost sounds silly, uh, but I'm being serious. You got to be able to willing to take the initiative. You just have to be willing to the guy at work that you think you guys could connect on something. Just say, you know, you want to grab a burger or, you know, do something and you got to take the initiative. You can't, you can't wait for other people to do it. Uh, You just got to do it. You got to be that guy. It's true. It's true. You got to be that guy. Uh, you got to be that guy. I want to be that be guy. That Sam Corey, producer Sam Corey, get on the microphone right now. I got to be that guy. Get on the mic. Hurry up. Hurry up. Come on. Get your headphones on. Uh, Professor Niobe Way, this has been a very, very informative conversation. I appreciate you. Sam Corey, you here? Yes, I'm here. Uh, can we get a, I value your friendship. Can we get a burger after the show? Oh my God, Nick, Excellent. I would love that so much. I'd love that too. <laughs> Professor Way, thank you so much for helping all of us out here uh, get to know each other a little bit better. And uh, we Wonderful. appreciate you having you on Detroit yeah, thanks, today. thanks, Nick. Absolutely. Okay, uh, thanks. Thanks so much. Certainly. Uh, That's going to do it for us here today on Detroit Today. uh, As uh, this is 1019 WDET, Detroit Today, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. The show is produced by the man that you just heard there, Sam Corey. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Tune in on Monday when we'll discuss why prices are so high and what can be done about it without causing a lot of pain for working people. Until that time, we will see you on Detroit Today on Monday.